please turn your Bibles to the uh, 15th chapter of the 1st Corinthians. Um, we're going to cover a lot of ground today. And I took the Sunday school hour and prayed for each of your ears to hear what was said today. I am not sure that this may be the single most important message I've ever preached in my entire life. And, um, it's a little frustrating to know that I can sit in my office and know that I have no ability to make any of you hear this. But I cannot think of a text right now that is more emphatic that needs to be spoken more in the power of God than what I'm about to share with you this day. I really would highly suggest if you're going to start daydreaming that you leave now because you have no need to hear this message. Okay? Let's pray. And we're going to focus on the end of verse 2. Father, I come before your thrones, understanding the urgency of the day, the power of your word, the moving of your spirit. And Father, I humbly rest there. Father, I pray. I pray now that you give us all ears to hear and eyes to see. Father, I, I know not any more to ask. Help us to hear, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. We're looking at a section that I have entitled The Proof of the Resurrection, and we're looking at verses 1 and 2, the testimony of the church. And, and I think that there are times that we go through this and we, it becomes second nature or repetitive and out of our mouths speaks this. And yet, do we really know what's going on? And verses 1 and 2, he says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which also you stand, by which also you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. The Apostle Paul is concerned about the importance that Jesus Christ rose, and because he rose a bodily resurrection, you shall live also. The philosophy of the day, the society in which the church in Corinth existed, had infiltrated the church immensely. But I don't believe it has in, had infiltrated the church as much as the philosophy of today in our society has infiltrated the church today. Okay, and I can give you a whole bunch of reasons. You know what? Nowhere in the Bible does it say, say this prayer and you'll be saved. Doesn't say it. Nowhere in the Bible it tells me there were three wise men. Nowhere in the Bible does it say... Um, that if you add this and this to your life, then you shall be. No, doesn't say it. It's not there. It's just not there. 
Christians for the ages have banked their destiny and banked their life, banked their hope on the bodily, literal resurrection of Jesus Christ and that we will be literally bodily resurrected with him. Now, I'm going to take you back to a text. I'm going to keep hammering this text. It's Romans chapter 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, what happens? You are saved. Here's the problem that we miss today. If you have curios, Lord Jesus Christ, then you know what that makes you? Doulos. You know what doulos is? Slave. No, no, no. It's not servant. It is slave. If he is Lord, you're not his servant. You are his slave. When you read the text out of Matthew that says, well done, true and faithful, doulos. See, if you're a servant, I can quit and go serve somewhere else. If you're a slave, you are owned by your master and you do what your master wants whenever he wants, however he wants, whenever he wants. You become his possession. You have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Now listen, there's some perks. Immortal life. I mean, I'm only going to live eternally. Bummer. But there is some perks. Listen, the true believers have always believed in a literal bodily resurrection. Okay, so when you look at chapter 15, please get a hold of this. This is the key to this text. It is not to prove the resurrection to Christians. You are not a Christian if you don't believe in a literal bodily resurrection. It is not to convince unbelievers that there was a literal bodily resurrection. It is to prove to you and me that because of his literal bodily resurrection, we will be literally bodily resurrected. That's the text. It is for us. And yet we have the same battle that the Corinthians had. The society influences us. These first 11 verses, you know what? They never even discuss the problem. The problem doesn't even show up until verse 12. But in the first 11 verses, he deals with what is the common ground of the Christian today. What is the common ground? You heard the preaching and you received okay you received the preaching and you took that preaching that you received and you did what you stood on it by which you were saved saved do we understand that
This is our gospel. The Apostle Paul in the 15th chapter is basically going back to basics. I want to remind you of this. I need you to grab a hold of this. I need you to pay attention to this. Okay, now listen. I want to go through these three. If you receive it, what the heck does that mean? I mean, that's, you know, that's a whiteout, isn't it? You go button hook left, button hook right, and somebody throws the ball at you and you received it. No, let me give it to you what it says. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who what? Believed in his name. But we always miss verse 13. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Okay? He died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again. Receive that. Okay. If you have received that, then now you will stand in it. Standing in it, Greek language, perfect tense. You take your stand and you continue to stand in it. Okay. Well, I, I do that. All right. You have changed the permanent state in which you exist. When you take a stand on something, that's permanent state I have changed. Okay, but then he makes a statement here that's kind of weird. Because doesn't it look like he wrote it backwards? Because if I was saved, then I received it and I'm standing in it. Right? Then I, I got saved first, so I can say that I received it, therefore I must be Standing in it. No, he wrote it just the way it needed to be written. It literally means you are being saved by it. Hmm. Because of your commitment to this truth, okay, the truth of the death and the resurrection of Christ, you are now a possessor of salvation. Okay, do you see the impact of this statement to the Corinthians? The Corinthians believed that Jesus Christ had a bodily resurrection, but they would only be resurrected as a spirit. Do you see the impact that he's throwing out? Only when you understand this point, he's reaffirming to them what they already believe. You received it. You stand in it, therefore you are being saved by it. All right? When I hear people denying the resurrection or trying to mystify the resurrection or make it a spiritual resurrection, all you're telling me is you are not being saved, which means you never received it, which means that you obviously are not standing in it. And how can you be saved? Now, I get into more trouble with this text and this mentality than anything that I've ever, I have dealt with tongues. I have dealt with healings. I have dealt with miracles. I have dealt with da, 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 what the church is and church growth and all the rest of it. But I get more flack 
over challenging a person's faith than anything that I've ever done before. Because the first thing that comes out of it is that you are judgmental. Okay, let me tell you something. I am nowhere near as judgmental as the Lord Jesus Christ is when it comes to saving faith. Because I want to show you a word right there. Verse 2. You are also being saved. Then there's a word. And I went back to the original text. Guess what? It's still in there. The original text says, if. If. If you hold fast, literally what I preached. Okay, unless you believed in faith. Okay, the word vain there is faith means it's worthless. Uh, it would be a faith that is without effect. It's empty. Okay, now listen. This is what I'm trying to get to right now. This is the single most important thing that you will ever hear. Okay? Because if you have received it and you stand by it and you are being saved, look at the flow. If. So I can run it backwards. If not, then I don't have to worry about being saved. I don't have to worry about standing. I don't have to worry about receiving it. If I hold fast. Oh, Terry. Does that mean you can lose it? I mean, if there's an if, then, then I got saved. It, you know, it's, it's like everybody talks about Calvinists. Tulips. Okay. The five points of Calvinism. And, or you can be Daisy. Did you know that? He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. Okay. So you have tulips and daisies. You didn't realize that theology was broken down to flowers. If I don't hold fast to it, then will I lose it? I am an adamant believer in the security of a believer. Okay, well, but then maybe this, if I hold fast to it, is someone could believe and God would say, but you believed in vain. No, 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 no. Well, the scripture is very clear. Old Testament, New Testament. There is always a balance between assurance. Now hear me well. The assurance of salvation and the presumption of salvation. I know, listen, in this room right here, as small as this group is, I have brothers and sisters and friends. Brothers and sisters I will spend eternity with. Some of you are going to be friends with me as I go through this time and then we will forever be separated. Because there's some of you in this room who have presumed on God's. And I'm going to show you who you are. I'm going to show you who you are. There's always a balance between what God does to secure the believer and what the believer does to persevere 
in their faith. One is looking from the divine side and one is looking from the human side. Paul wrote another text that I want to remind you of. Okay, it comes out of the book of Romans. It is chapter 8 beginning in verse 29. For those he foreknew, whose side are we looking from? God's side. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to what? To become conformed into the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn of many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And those that he called, he also justified. And these that he justified, he also glorified. All right? What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who is against us? The world. The world is against you. Okay? He did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus, is. he died, yes, rather, was raised. There it is who is at the right hand of God the Father, who intercedes for us. So who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, distress, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Okay. If you are called, it is because you have been predestined. If you are predestined and called, then you are justified. If you are justified, you are glorified. And nobody at no time will ever be able to make a change in that. Impossible. Not only that, who can bring a charge against you? No one. No one. If Christ declares you his, who is going to condemn you? Nobody. What will separate you from God? Has never been created. Chapter 5. Now, I want you to think about that. Where did justification come from? A predetermined calling. I didn't write it. Paul did. Okay, you don't like that doctrine? Just ignore it. Okay? Let me give you another one I want you to think about because I'm wanting you to understand that the testimony of the church is such as what? Jesus Christ literally raised from the dead. Okay? Then you are justified. You are glorified, and who can condemn you? Well, that's not true. I've seen them line up to condemn. But they're not. Do you see now how the influence of society has crept into the church? 
In chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, it says this. Much more than. I like that phrase. You know what that means? Much more than. It's like the biggest Christmas tree. Much more than. Having now been, what does it say? Justified. How was I justified? Because it was predetermined calling justified me. Okay, I was justified by his blood. We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Now think about this. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Okay, reconciled. Think of the word rescue. Okay, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by what? By his life. Listen, what happens with his life? What happens with the resurrection? So I gave you that because I want you to see Paul's faith, the teachings of the apostles, the apostles' faith. He believed in security. He believed that God holds his own. Okay? This is that great phrase that the Baptists like to throw out. Once saved... Always say, amen. The problem is, wants. Okay, and that's the one I want to deal with. The human side. The human, I showed you what God does. The human side. A true Christian is known. Hear me, please hear me on this. Every one of you, listen closely. A true Christian is known by the fact that he continues in the faith. Some go along for a while. And then they change. And when they change... When they walk away from the scriptures, from the church, from the faith, they give evidence that they believed what? In vain. It was worthless. Their faith was useless. Their faith, I see this in droves today. A non-committed faith. It's a non-committed faith. How many people do you know who believe Jesus Christ died and he rose again, but are not Christians? I will tell you, I know more who believe he died and rose again and are not believers than those that I know who believe that he died and rose again and continue in it. And it's a biblical precedence. The parable of the four soils. They all heard the word. How many were saved? You know what's amazing about the one who got saved? Everybody knew it. They bore fruit. They were seen because they were committed to what they professed. I see people today in droves and in droves and in droves say that I believe Jesus was raised from the dead. I believe he died for my sin. And yet they do not bear any fruit. Who's the liar? The scriptures or the individual? And I get into more trouble over this one than anything in the world. There's no commitment. 
There's no commitment. How many people do you know? In fact, they'll speak. They'll share the gospel and their faith is absolutely useless. But I believe, okay, write this verse down. James chapter 2, verses 17 through 20. even so faith if it has no works is what okay you know what that means if you have dead faith it's a non-existent faith okay i mean i've i've watched people go through hoops to try to say well it's just a faith that's lingering lingering I've seen dead people. They don't linger. It is not effectual. Do you know that you can take a big old hat pin? Everybody know what a hat pin is? And if you take a dead body and stick it with a hat pin, do you know what the response of that dead body is? Nothing. If I have a dead faith and I stick it with a hat pin, what happens? Nothing. What good is it? Okay, just as long as we're all on the same page. But if someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. Remember what he said in Romans 8? You have been predestined. You have been called. You have been justified. For what reason? To be conformed into the image of Christ. Listen, the image of Christ is not hard to identify. It's very simple to identify because it is completely opposite of what humanity is. Faith without works, I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and they tremble. I know people right now who say they believe everything that I believe. Except here's the problem. They're not afraid. James says, tell me about your faith. Let me see its evidence. And you know what the evidence is that you'll see in the whole book of James? It's easy. It continues. It continues. Why? Because there's commitment to it. People respond to the gospel, but they're not all legitimate. The the four soils, how many were real? And yet all four did what to the gospel? They responded. Some way or another, they responded. There's always, and there always has been, and there always will be an emotionalism. Listen, God had an evangelistic movement going on in Corinth that was powerful. It was fantastic. It was amazing. You had homosexuals walking away from homosexuality. You had immorality that ceased in a society that promoted it. That said it was good. And yet there is no doubt that in the church in Corinth, there were some who were hanging on. But you know what? 
There were others that it was emotional. There are those who will join on the bandwagon and their faith is worthless. It is without effect. It is, when you read the word vain, it means that it literally was empty. There wasn't anything in it. Empty. There's no commitment. Go back to the Gospel of John, chapter 2. Verses 23 through 25. This is just after the uh, wedding in Canaan where he turned the water into wine. He says, now then he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast. Look what it says next. What does it say? Many believed in his name, observing his signs, which he was doing. We got an evangelistic. We got a, it's a great, it's a crusade. What was Jesus' response? He turned away from them. Wait a minute. But I thought they believed. Says that he knew their heart. Why? They heard, they believed, but their faith was empty. And what did he do? He walked away. He walked away. Look at verse 31. Or wait. No, go to John chapter 8. Yeah, chapter 8, verse 30. He spoke these things. And what does it say? Many came to believe in him. Wow, we got another revival going on. Big harvest. Uh Uh-oh. Read verse 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who believed him, what? There's that word again. If. If. If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Listen, I've watched people who read the Bible and haven't got a clue what it's saying. You know what I'm saying? You know what they're telling me? Your faith is worthless. It is of no value. Why? Because if you continue in my work, what happens? The word will set you free. And when I watch people get into bondage to the Bible or don't understand what the Bible is teaching, you know what you're telling me? You're not his. Your faith is useless. You are my disciples. You know, I had a guy one time says, can you come and teach my church to read your Bibles like your church opens their Bibles? And I said, get them saved. Why? If I've got to make you read your Bible, you have a very serious problem. And it ain't because, well, I just don't like to read. It is because if the love of the word is not in your heart, then the love of God is not in your heart. And if the love of God has not been poured into your heart, guess what? Your faith is useless. See, God's standpoint, a true believer is kept. Our standpoint, a true believer is manifest because he or she is the one who continues in the faith. 
They continue. I want more. Feed me more. Give me more. I want to be around the Christians. I want to be in church. I want to be fed. I want preaching. I want teaching. I want to give. I want to pour myself out as a living sacrifice before a holy God. Because I am his slave. He bought me. He paid for me with a price. He is my Lord. I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. If he is Lord, then I can look at you and tell you who rules your life. That is not a deep theological understanding. Ah. And I get in trouble. Are you challenging my faith? No. God's word is. It is seen, brothers and sisters. Luke chapter 18, verse 13, it talks about the parable of the four soils. And it says, they received the word with joy. Woohoo! But they had no root. And guess what happened? Things of the world came on, burn them up, it's gone. But they had received the word with joy. But it had no root. What happened to them? It withered and died. Bummer. Well, Terry, that's the gospel thing. And you know, John, he was that evangelist thing. You know, all right, well, let's go over here. Hebrews chapter 10. Let's see if I can get through this thing. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. Very familiar verse. But my righteous one shall what? Live by faith. Amen, brother. Preach it. Read the rest of it. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. 1038 Hebrews. Well, but shrinking back means that, you know, it's just, it's that backslidden Christian. Really? 39 doesn't say so. 39 says, we are not of those who shrink back to. Well, that doesn't sound pleasant. Those who shrink back are shrinking back to where? Hmm, bummer. That's not sort of a casual falling away, is it? No. Those who have faith do what? What does it say? persevering of the soul that's the commitment the just shall live by faith the i can give it to you in another vernacular the just shall live by a continual faith it is seen not only is it seen if you're truly honest with scripture the faith will continue to grow it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger Well, come on, Terry. You've given us John, who's evangelist, and you got us a Hebrew text. And, you know, I, I think you're kind of forcing the issue. Okay, James chapter 1, verse 22. Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who what? If you read on. Look what he says here. 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror and once he looks at himself, it's gone away. And he immediately has forgot what kind of person he was. I read the Bible. I studied the Bible. I've been in Bible studies. I've taught Bible studies. I was involved with VBS. I did the Kool-Aid for VBS. I did all of these things. And then I walk out and I forgot everything that was there. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and what? Which means to remain in it. You know what that is, right? Perseveres. Not having become forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. I watch people who bust their butts for Jesus for no apparent reason doesn't stay. It doesn't stick. And they, they give you all the great terms. Well, the Spirit has led me. So where? What Spirit? Well, Terry, you know, James, we believe that that was the Lord's half-brother you're dealing with. Alright, let's go to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. Let's start 19 so we get the flow of the thought here. For it was the Father's good pleasure, 19, Colossians chapter 1. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness of fullness to dwell in Him. That means the deity of Jesus Christ. And through Him, Jesus Christ, to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him, I say, whether things on earth or in heaven. Cool. Although... You were formerly alienated and hostile in mind and engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Verse 23. What does it say? There's that word again. If you continue... In the faith, firmly established and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, which was proclaimed in all of creation in heaven, and of which I, Paul, am a minister. First John chapter 2, verse 19, he says, They have gone out from among us. They were not of us. Now listen, people say, well, you know what, do you understand that when a Christian leaves a church, it's for punishment? And you look around today and Christians are leaving in droves for the dumbest reasons. And they basically say, punish me. No, their faith is worthless. Jesus, listen, I watch people accuse the church of this, that, and the other. I'll give you this warning and heed it well, brothers and sisters. The Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus was in the process of arresting and killing Christians. And when Jesus Christ confronted him on the road, did he say, quit persecuting my church? No, he said, get off of me. And I watch people come against the church on a daily basis, moment by moment basis. Listen, there are some churches I agree. 
But you know what? The only problem is they're not really churches. So I don't even classify them. But I watch people come against the church and I sat there and I said, do you understand that that's what the apostle Paul was doing when Christ confronted him? Do you understand that for a Christian to be punished, the worst punishment that you can give to a Christian is to set him outside of the church? Why? Because God said in the community of the faith is where my blessings, my protections, and my will will prevail. And if that doesn't bother you to walk away from church, ask yourself a question. When you look in the mirror and you turn around and walk away from it, you forget what you saw? John, first John, he said that they went out from us, which proves that they were not of us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, he says, prove yourself to be of the faith. Okay, anybody have a, any kind of idea today of what it takes to prove that you are of the faith? It's perseverance. It's perseverance. Why? What does it say? Listen, brothers and sisters, I'm going to close with this thought. You, listen, you got to ask yourselves this question, every single one of you. And, and you, can't, you can't get to heaven in my faith. All right? I love you. I'd take every one of you. But here's the problem. That ain't the way he does it. You will go on your faith. And I'm going to ask you a very personal question right now. What is the value of your faith? Is it empty? Is it useless? And I'll give you one, one, one just picture of it. I can spend time with you in about 15 minutes and I know what you are committed to. Okay? Because you know what? I've never met a human being who doesn't like to share what they're committed to. So when I say... At the beginning of this message, some of you are brothers and sisters and some of you are friends. You know how I know? Because you've already told me what you're committed to. It's that simple. And I get into more trouble questioning a person's faith than anything I've ever done. But you know what? I'm supposed to. That's my responsibility. But what I've learned is, is that it's every Christian's responsibility. You say, that don't sound right. But it's divisive. Listen, people, I wish people would quit thinking that I just go around looking for conflict. I am, I am like every other human being. I will run from conflict. I do not like conflict. I'll stick my head in the sand conflict guy. But my responsibility as a brother in Christ, not as a pastor or a preacher, as a brother in Christ is if you open your mouth and you insert your foot, I'm going to say, does that taste good? If you say something that ain't right, I'm going to say, 
I don't think that's right. And we need to understand this. The church today, and if I hear another person, I got this just the other week from pastors. No, no, no. Well, Terry, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I just smiled at him real big. I said, I'm getting ready to blow up the bathtub. I ain't throwing nothing. Okay? Because the problem is the church is drowning. The church is drowning. And if your faith ain't real, how cruel is it of me to let you stand before God and him say, I don't know you and me not warn you that I don't think he knows you. Because you blame me, I get blamed for everything else. <laughs> That's fine. But the truth of the matter is, it's that. Listen, faith, true saving faith has works. It is visible. It is manifested. When I read the proof of Christ's resurrection, I look at Castle Rock Baptist Church, not the church in Corinth. If he didn't raise from the dead, who are we? What the heck are we doing here? He had to have raised from the dead. Or the church is non-existent. You can't keep faking this. And that's why the church growth stuff that I see here today drives me nuts. Well, you need to have a worship leader. That's what I do. What instrument did the Apostle Paul play? How about Peter? James? I got one. I'll take you back a few years. How about Aaron? The first high priest of the nation of Israel. Anybody know what he played? I think it was the bagpipes. You don't want to be running around in the desert with a piano. <laughs> I mean, let's be realistic. Uh, you didn't even want to be in the desert with a tuba. See what we've done? The philosophy of man has creeped in. And you know what? I see people's faith right now. It's based on what? Nothing. Nothing. It'll all burn. Everything that you guys see today is promoted. It burns. It's gone. It, it has a new meaning to global warming. Brothers and sisters and friends, where is your faith today? And what is its value? Is it empty? Because let me tell you something. I can see what your faith is in. It is not hard to see what a person's faith is in. It's very simple. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that, Lord, the church is a testimony of the resurrection. Father, the Corinthian church was the testimony of the resurrection. Father, we who stand here this day who have a working faith or testimony of your resurrection. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for drawing us this day.
Thank You for giving us ears to hear. And Father, I pray that if there are some in this place today who have a vain faith, Father, You will open their eyes, open their ears, and remove the heart of stone that they may be brothers and sisters with those who believe. Father, the power of Your resurrection is all that we need. Father, knowing that we will be resurrected and set alongside Him. It's too awesome for me to even consider. And yet, Father, You bought us and You paid for us with a price. The precious blood of Your Son, Jesus. Father, I rejoice that He was the first fruit of many brethren. Thank You, Lord. Thank You so, so much. In Christ's name, amen.